All right, good morning, Friendship Church. Good to see you here in March, March the 3rd. We are continuing our series, our walk through the book of Colossians, verse by verse through the uh, letter from Paul. That's how you read a letter, you read all of it. And so we're looking at verse by verse. This is week number eight. We're almost at the end. Next week will be the last week of the Colossians. And so um, you're here at the end of it here. And uh, as we go through the letter, um, we, we see that the overall theme is that Christ is all that matters. And we see that from beginning uh, to end, uh, from the beginning, how we talked about how that Christ is uh, the creator of all things. He's the head of the church, all these things. Um, we're in this part now where he's talking about, practically speaking, what does that mean for us? How do we, in our day-to-day life, live as if Christ is all that matters? And so we've gone through several different things. Um, and so we're going to continue that here in, in a very practical sense here today to see what uh, or how we are to live our lives. And so we are going to be in Colossians. It's going to be the end of chapter 3, the first part of chapter 4. If you want to turn there, we'll have it on the screen as well. We are, we are in Colossians chapter 3, 22. Now last week, Paul talked to us um, about... Uh, wives submitting into our husbands. And so I'm thinking, okay, maybe Paul will give me something a little bit easier to speak on this week, hopefully. And so let's, let's uh, look here in verse 22. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly master. What in the world? Come on, Paul. <laughs> You're killing me, man. <laughs> give me something easy to talk about here, Paul. Come on. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Okay, so he is hitting a couple of specific things. We talked about family last week, and then we're talking about this this week. Uh, And so I think to help us understand what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about slaves and masters, that's what it's uh, entitled here today. Um, Sometimes we preachers, we have to talk about what we're not talking about before we talk about what we are talking about. You know what I'm saying? And so... I'm going to do that here this morning, okay? We're going to talk, here's what we're not talking about, here's what we are talking about. And I think that that will be helpful for us to know what Paul is talking about. And once we find out what Paul actually is talking about, um, it's it's a very beautiful thing, a proper thing, and it's a right thing. Uh, because it comes from the Word of God. And so let's, let's talk about this, okay? When I say the word vacation to you, Everybody in this room probably thinks of something a little bit different. When I say vacation, some of you might think going to the beach. Some of you might think, no, it's not the beach. We go up to the mountains and we ski. Or some of you might want to get a, a, a cabin in the woods. Or you want to go to Europe. Or you want to go on a carnival cruise. Or you want to uh, go to Disney World. Or some of you just might want to sit at home and have everybody leave me alone. That's a great vacation. Is that anybody's idea of a vacation right there? Everybody leave me alone for a week. Um, the point is, when I say vacation, everybody kind of thinks of something a little bit different. However, in America, especially in the South, when I say the word slavery, we all think the same thing, do we not? And so when we hear a verse like this, we kind of scratch our head like, Paul, what are you doing here, man? Like, don't you know kind of what happened in our history and that sort of thing? Um, and that's partly the point. Um, no, he doesn't. Because what happened in, uh, in America in the 1700s and the 1800s, um, that, if you need to hear me say that, that was not a good thing. Uh, that was something that happened in our past, in our history, that was not good. Um, and Paul was not thinking and not talking about that because that was 1,700 years after he wrote these words. Okay, 
So Paul was not thinking about that kind of slavery at all. So at, at some point, we're going to think, when I say the word slavery, somehow we're going to get that out of our heads. Slaves and masters, um, those were people who were taken from land, from their continent, and brought over here, and they were treated very harshly, um, hard hours, and not hardly any benefits, and things like that. Um, not to mention sin was happening to them at some of those places. It was an awful, awful, awful thing. Paul is not talking about that. He is talking about uh, slaves and masters in his context, especially in a Jewish um, Israeli context. Now, back at that time in Rome and in many of the pagan countries that were around them, there was something at least close comparable to what, what happened in the 1700s, 1800s uh, in America. But again, Paul, for the most part, is talking about this um, Israeli context. And then even more so than that, he's talking about now that we are in Christ. Remember, Christ is all that matters. So let me give you a couple of verses here that Mike can help us up. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is again Paul talking. Uh, he says, The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching. So here he gives a couple of examples of what not to do. These people are sinners. Don't do these things. And he mentions in this slave traders. So obviously... That is sin. To do what they did was absolutely a sinful act, and that is not what we are to do as Christians. In fact, there was a Bible circulating around at that time that took a lot of these verses out so that they could continue to do what they wanted to do and claim that it is biblical. It's wrong. It was wrong to do, obviously. And those of us who are living in Christ know that that is sin, and we are not to do that. So, you're like, okay, well, that's the New Testament. Well, what about the Old Testament? Didn't they have slavery in the Old Testament? Yes, okay. Exodus chapter 21, this is uh, coming from the, the law of God. It says, if you buy a Hebrew slave, hold on, I'll come back to that word in just a second, buy, uh, but let's just finish the verse. He may serve no more than six years, set him free in the seventh year, and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. But the slave may declare, I love my master, verse 5, my wife and my children, and I don't want to go free. So this idea of the word slave, which is just an English translation of what the Hebrew was back then. That's just one of the best ways to translate it. Bond servant is another way to translate it. But they didn't have government housing back then. It wasn't like everybody owned a home or they were living in an apartment. It was very common for a poorer person or someone who was in great debt to say, let me come and work for you, whatever that work is. You provide housing. I don't have a house to live in, and I'll work for you. And they, that was considered to be a six-year deal. In six years, they'll pay off their debt or whatever it is. If they want to say, stay, that is their voluntary, voluntary um, actions there. But it's not what it was in 1700s, Okay. It was more like employment. It was closer to employment than it, than it was that over here. Um, but they didn't have any of those things. Jacob, if you remember, worked seven years for Laban, his uncle, for Rachel. Now, Laban was a, not, not a good dude. Um, and he like made the old switcheroo and gave, her Leah, <laughs> gave him Leah. Um, and so he's like, okay, fine, I'll work another seven years so I can have Rachel. So 14 years. 
Um, and his payment was his daughters. And he worked, uh, uh, Jacob said later, he said, I slaved for you 14 years to marry uh, your daughters here. Uh, verse 16 of Exodus 21, to go a little bit further, kidnappers must be put to death, whether they are caught in possession of their victims or have already sold them as slaves. So this, this idea, even in the Old Testament, you're not supposed to just grab somebody and force them into labor for all of their life. That, that's obviously, I, I don't think I'm rocking any boats here by saying that, okay? That is uh, obviously not what you want to do. But the idea that sometimes the Bible uh, condones it, something like that, that is not the truth, okay? Kidnappers must be put to death whether they're caught in possession of their victims. Or check this out. Or have already sold them as slaves. They weren't slaves, but then they sold them as a slave. That's wrong as well. So that's not what we're talking about. Hopefully we can get... That's, that is gone now, okay? That's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what the Bible teaches. It was not okay to do. And Paul would continue to go on. What Paul is trying to tell us is how to live in our current situation. We are all going to be in a situation where we may have a master over us or we are a slave. Again, these are English words, translation of these words. But however you are in Christ, uh, you should continue to live that way, and this is how you are to live. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you or, or, or saved you, is another way to say that. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. That's at the end of that seven years, you can take your freedom. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you were now free in the Lord. That means that, yes, you may be under a, a physical slave, again, bond servant, uh, or we might even say a, a, a worker, an employee, because you're paying off debt to the person that your master, if you will, um, you're paying off that debt. And earlier when it said if you buy a Hebrew slave, again, that's taking on the debt of that slave so that they can then work for you. I think it's just that the word slave is hitting our 2024 ears and it's just not sounding right at all. Um, but that's just how it was translated. It says, remember, you were a slave when the Lord called you. You are now free in the Lord. So even better than a physical freedom is a spiritual freedom. That's even better is a spiritual freedom. And then he says, and if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. So Christ is our master. He is the authority that is over us, and all of us are slaves to a, our master, who is Jesus Christ. He is king. He is Lord. It is proper. It is good that we see ourselves as submissive to our master, who is Jesus Christ. This is, this, is not, um, this is not crazy, or, or, or this is not controversial, that's the word, not necessarily controversial uh, in the body of Christ. We know that we serve Christ. Maybe we like the word serve better than slave. That, that's just a word that we like, but, but essentially we are serving our master who is Christ. So he would go on to say, Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, it says, This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. He's calling himself a slave. This is voluntary serving a master. This is not 
forceful slavery. This is volunteering myself as a slave to Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle, sent out. So Paul calls himself a slave three times in three different letters that he sends out to many of his books. And not only did Paul do this, but Peter does this in 2 Peter. And Jude calls him a slave, himself a slave in his book. If you remember, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. I don't know if any younger brother who would consider himself a slave to the older brother. But in Christ, he calls himself a slave. So we can call ourselves slaves to our master who is Jesus Christ. And he is a good father and master and king and Lord. He is good in all of this. Then he goes, even, I'm going to go even further than this, okay? First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, Paul again is talking. He says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. So he is setting the standard. Not only am I a slave submissive to my master who is, who is Jesus, I'm going to be a slave to, to people so that I can bring them closer to Christ. Now that is a submissive, humble spirit that what Paul is talking about. This is what he's talking about. He's not talking about the other thing over there. Don't even think about that anymore. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about who I am in Christ am a slave. And not only that, I become a slave to others to bring them closer to Christ. That is the attitude that we should have in our walk with the Lord. Um, this humble, submissive attitude to God and what He wants and the authorities that He even sets up here on earth. Now, with that in mind, now let's look at Colossians chapter 3 and read it in the proper context. Verse 22 says, Slaves, that is all of us, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Again, we're, we're serving masters because of our fear of the Lord. Just like last week when we talked about how uh, children are to obey their parents. Why? Because this pleases the Lord. It's not just the parents that we're trying to please. We're trying to please the Lord. And so all of us are going to find ourselves at different times, slaves and masters, depending on the context of what's going on. That doesn't mean that a master is better than a slave or the person in authority is better off. Earlier in chapter 3, he says that we are all the same at the foot of the cross, right? So we are all the same in terms of salvation. There's nobody better or, or worse, but there's also going to be times where there are people who are in authority, a master, those who are submissive to that authority, a slave, and this is how we are to act with each other, okay? There are authority figures in our life. I have a good friend here in the room. His name is Tim, and we have hung out before, and we talk about the Astros, and we're friends, and we'll text with each other, and, we're, and, and we'll, we'll kind of pick at each other sometimes, as guys do, and, and these types of things, and we're, we're friends. There was one time we went to a foster football game, and he was in his police officer uniform. He was in authority there at that football game. 
So I didn't walk up to him and be like, hey, Timmy, you know, and like kind of mess with him. And like, that's not, that, that was not appropriate, okay? In that moment, I needed to submit to the authority that he held by that badge. Do I, do I not? And I was fine with that. He was not Tim in that moment. He was Officer Quimby, or at the very least, Sir. <laughs> right? And so if I committed some crime there at the football game, he couldn't just say, well, we're buds. I'll just let him do that. No, he has to exercise his authority. And we would see no problem with that, right? <clears throat> some of y'all would like to see that, you know? <clears throat> so we understand it more than we think that we do. There are moments in our lives in different times in our lives, ages, responsibilities, where we are going to be masters or the, the person in authority. From times in our lives, we will find ourselves as slaves, people who submit to that authority. And it will be interchangeable. When we are children, we submit to the authority of our parents. At one time, we will have children, and so we will be the parents who children should submit to. See what I'm saying? So we will at different times be masters and be slaves. And what Paul is talking about is this is how you are conduct yourself no matter how you find yourself to be. Please them all the time, not just when they are watching over you. So when the boss is out of town, do you still get your work done? <laughs> okay? Do you work just as hard as when the boss is not there or when, it, when he is there? Okay? Um, we are working for the Lord, not just our boss. Verse 23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Again, this is the attitude that we, are, that we have. We recognize that there is an authority figure in our life. He has some things that he wants us to do, whether it be tasks or whatever it is. And we work willingly in that. Not just because we're working for the master, but we're working for the master, who is Jesus Christ. And if more Christian employees today serve their employers with genuine concern as though they were serving God, quality and productivity would increase dramatically because it is the Lord Christ whom all Christians are serving. Listen, we cannot control the actions of others, okay? We can't control the actions of others. If we're the slave, we can't control the, uh, what the masters are doing, what those who are in authority are doing. Maybe they're doing something right. Maybe they're doing something wrong. God will deal with them, absolutely. Just as when we are the masters, God will deal with us when we are in charge. We can't, we can't control what they do when we're down here, and we can't control all the time what they do when we're up here. But we can control our attitude and our actions, no matter where we are. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We can control our own actions, and we have to have this attitude of Christ. Verse 24, Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. So once again, he does like what he did at the beginning of chapter 3, point our minds toward heaven, keep our minds on heavenly things. Yes, there are times that Many of us will struggle financially or whatever it may be here on earth as slaves. But remember, one day we are going to receive an inheritance. And it's going to far outweigh whatever we think the masters here on earth have. 
far outweigh that if we keep our actions and our attitudes as submissive to the authority. And that main authority is Christ. And then he continues, verse 25, but if you do what is wrong, see, here's the good things. There's the good things you do. You keep the right attitude. You work diligently. You work for the Lord, not just for man. But he says, but if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. There is no teacher's pet in the kingdom of God. It is all about the actions and the attitudes that you have, no matter where you are in this. And if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong that you have done. There's, there's, there's no teacher's pet. There's no, uh, look, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for the heritage that I have come under. My, my father was uh, a, a pastor. My grandfather on my mom's side was a Gideon. And he passed out Bibles all over the world, especially over Southeast Asia. I am so proud of what I have come from. But I can't lean on that and go, well, my grandfather was great and my dad was great, so therefore, God, you, you know, help me out a little bit here. No, it's up to what I do. It's not just about what they did. It's what do I do? I'm not a favorite just because my grandfather was a Gideon. It is what the actions that I do, it's the attitudes that I have. Am I going to follow my master who is Jesus Christ? Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, because Christ is all that matters. He said that in verse 11. Christ is all that matters. So then we go to chapter 4, but it's interesting how he continues with this topic for one verse, and I think it connects to the later verses. So it says in verse 1, chapter 4, Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. So there, again... No matter where you are in this, sometimes you'll be the boss, you'll have the authority, sometimes you will not, and that's fine. Masters, remember, treat all those under you fair, be just and fair. Remember, you have a master in heaven. So there's not, just because you have some authority here on earth doesn't mean that you don't, you get to skirt what happens in heaven. Uh, Our master is Jesus Christ, and so we have to follow him. That's the great equalizer, the spiritual world. In the physical world, we may have some temporary authority, not better than, but we are responsible for. But in the spiritual world, there is one, and he is eternal. He does not have temporary power. He has eternal power. And so we have to submit unto him, even masters and servants. So then he goes, and it seems like he pivots to like a different topic, but I don't think he does. Verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. It seems like, you know, he's talking about masters and slaves. Okay, now I want to talk about something else. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think that it, it is connected here because that verse 1, the people who put the Bibles to, Bible together, they didn't put that in chapter 3 and made like a break for chapter 4. They continued it in chapter 4. So it's interesting how we are to devote ourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. This is one of the biggest things that when we genuinely come to prayer, that it does. It reminds us, when we pray, it reminds us where God is and where we are. And it reminds us that He is our Master. So as we come to pray, we come and we read our Bible, we understand that He is on top. And that we are coming to Him as the source of our life. 
Prayer is not a spiritual luxury. It is essential for growth. It is not casual. It is continual. And I think that putting this verse or these couple of verses here with this other part, I I think helps us out. Because when we first get saved, it's kind of like, okay, prayer is something that we're supposed to do. Christians are supposed to pray. So I guess I just need to find a time in my week to pray. And that's (laughs) good-ish. Find a time to pray. I mean, yes, we need to pray. But that, that entry level, yes, we need to pray. Then what we find out is the, kind of the second level that prayer is essential for our walk with the Lord. Amen. We will not grow in the Lord if we do not pray. We will not grow in the Lord if we do not pray. I think it's worth saying it again. We will not grow in the Lord. If you do not pray. Okay? So first it's, okay, I need to find a time to pray. Second, no, it's essential for growth. Then, even on this third level, taking into context what he's talking about, prayer is actually our responsibility. As a servant, as a slave of Christ, one of the things that he demands of us to do, commands us to do, is to pray. It is our responsibility. So as we're talking about what we're supposed to do, how women are responsible to their husbands and to the home, men are responsible to their wives and children, children are responsible to parents, Uh, slaves are responsible to masters, workers are responsible to those in authority. All of us are responsible in our prayer time. All of us. And so we are all servants of a master, and he tells us to pray, and it's our responsibility. It's more than just finding a time to pray. It's even more than just it's essential for us. It's actually a command of the Lord to pray. Let me put it to you this way. The Lord is more unlikely to use you in ministry if you are not responsible to your master in prayer. Right? If we want want God to use us, God, we want to do something for you, if we're not going to do the simplest of commands, which is to pray then he is unlikely to use us for much more than that. We have to pray. We are responsible for it. Then he says to keep an alert mind and a thankful heart. So it's not an afterthought. It's not, have you ever kind of prayed and you're barely reading your Bible because you can't keep your eyes open and you're just kind of doing this and Jesus, I love you. You know, it's like, okay, Find a time, if you're a morning person, pray in the morning. If you're an evening person, maybe pray in the evening. But you want to be alert in your prayer so that you're talking so that you can receive from the Lord. And then with a thankful heart. When we come with a thankful heart, it implies that we understand what God has done for us in the past and anticipates his future promises. We remain thankful to God. When we come in prayer, it's not just a list of our do's and don'ts of what we want him to do. We come to the Lord Alert to receive from God, but then also thankful for what he's done in the past and what he's going to do in the future. And then he can use us as a slave, as a servant, as one submissive to our master. Then he can use us. So he continues. Verse 3, pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. So once again, he reminds us he's writing this letter from prison. Okay? So he was out. He was doing... Okay, this is 
almost a rabbit trail here, but the people in authority told him not to preach. God told him to preach. So who do we listen to? We listen to God. We listen to God. And so he is in chains, not because he committed some heinous crime. He's in chains because he preached the gospel of Christ and these people in authority didn't want him to. But God's will supersedes the will of the people. So he reminds them that he's in chains. I'm being used by God. There's there's, um, those who do not like me to do this. No, they don't want me to do this. So pray for me. Pray for me is what he says. Um, If you've heard of Charles Spurgeon, one of the the greatest preachers um, recently-ish, it was the end of the 1800s, one of the best preachers in the 1800s, had this huge ministry, has this huge following. He he preached all over the globe. And he was asked one time um, how he had such a large and successful ministry. And his answer to those people was, I have a lot of people praying for me. And he believed it. Um, It is good and proper to pray for staff and for the board and for ministry leaders and teachers in this church who who, um, facilitate the authority that God's given us. It is good to pray for leadership. Absolutely. And I can tell you that I've been very humbled the last really two or three months. Several people have come up and said, listen, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And it's been humbling, and I say thank you, and I say keep it up, because we always need prayers. Um, But I've absolutely felt it, and I thank you, thank you, thank you so much, because I want to do what God wants us to do, and so you praying for me and praying for the church is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Verse 4 says, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And so if you're wanting something to pray for me about, uh, this is absolutely it. Uh, because when I get up and preach, it's, it's one of the things that I do every single week. Uh, it's my joy. I love to preach every single week. And I want to make sure that I am preaching in such a way that we can all grab a hold of something. And there's sometimes that it makes sense in my head, but I want to make sure that it comes out right. And that what is, what is supposed to be said is what is received by you. And so hopefully... That is something that you can pray for me about to do. If you can't think of anything else to pray for, that's what you can pray. This Sunday, pray that he proclaim the message as clearly as he should. I totally agree with Paul in this prayer because I need that. Finally, the last two verses. We're going to put the last two verses here together. It says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Again, Paul saw him as a slave to all the people that he wanted to bring closer to Christ. So all of us, not just a preacher, all of us need to live wisely, make the most of every opportunity, And let your conversation be gracious, attractive, so that you have the right response to everyone. Listen, we are not monks. We do not live in a secret society. People know that we're here. We are not to be ashamed of our life in Christ. We are, in fact, expected by our master, even responsible for those non-believers who live around us. And we need to be ready with an answer. It's one of the things that God has told us as servants of our master is we are supposed to share the love of Jesus with everyone. 
whether that's you're outside and you're raking your leaves and your neighbor is also raking their leaves and you get in a conversation, how was your weekend? Oh yeah, church was great. Church. And then you can start, you have a conversation. And we need to be ready to discuss these things, whether you're at school and you've got friends, you're at work, um, you're hanging out with maybe some non-Christian relatives of yours. We need to be ready with an answer. And I know the and we don't know just maybe everything about the Bible, but there are some questions that we need to be have an answer for. If you're raking your leaves and church comes up and your neighbor says, why are you a Christian? You need to have a pretty good answer for that, I think. Um, it's, and, it's, and it's more than just, well, I don't you know, smoke or cuss. Like, you need more than that. Why are you a Christian? And that is, you don't have to know a ton of verses for that one. Why are you a Christian? And maybe that's something that you, we can go home and think about today at lunch or, or, or think about this week. If someone were to ask me a simple question like that, why are you a Christian, what would your answer be? I think that's an answer that we need to know. And I think that it's our responsibility to know because, again, we are slaves to those who we're, we're bringing closer to Christ. What if they ask, what do I have to do to be a Christian? Do you have an answer for that? Well, you need to go to church and tithe. No, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. Do not give them that answer. That's not actually the answer. What do I have to do to be a Christian? You just, it's, it's the simple gospel. Realize that God is your creator. Our sin placed a wedge between us and God. We can't be brought back together with God with our own goodness. So we have to ask his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us of our sins. And that brings us close together to God. And then we live our life in trust and faith of him. Say that in your words. It's just the simple thing. What do I have to do to be a Christian? We give our life to Jesus Christ because he gave his life for us. They say, I see Christians mess up all the time. Why should I be a Christian then? Yeah, great question. Great question. Do we have an answer for that? Maybe it's just as simple as, you're right. Sometimes the people of God don't act like the people of God, and it's frustrating. But thankfully, I don't always act like a person of God. But see, that's where God's grace and his mercy and his love brings me back. And he shows me areas where I need to grow. And thankfully, I'm growing. Say something like that in your words. It's, it's, we need to have a response to everyone in all of these things. And it's not just something that is good to do. This is actually what our master is telling us to do. Our master is telling us to do this. And so we follow Christ as our master... We submit ourselves to the people that he has put in authority over us, knowing that sometimes we'll be the ones in authority. Sometimes we will be the slaves. And how we operate shows us a lot about how we follow the Lord. And I say, God, help us. Help us in everything that we do for our earthly boss, for our parents, for the people who are in authority, help us to be servants because we're serving you. 
And when we find ourselves in those moments where we are the ones that are in charge, pray that we would lead with integrity and humility, just as you did, O oh Lord. And I say, Lord, help us this morning. If you would stand with me this morning. Some might say part of this is, is difficult to understand, difficult to preach, difficult to read. But it is beautiful if we understand our proper place in understanding this. And it is a good thing. And we will live our lives growing closer and closer to God if we get, one of, if we get this right. And we understand what God is trying to tell us to do. So maybe we can take just a moment. And maybe in parts of your life you find yourself a slave or submissive to authority. In parts of your life you find yourself a master or the person who is in authority. Maybe we pray for both of those moments. God, help me to live my life with integrity and with humbleness, knowing that whatever level I am, I am serving the ultimate master who is Jesus Christ. So maybe we need to find a place to pray here and we're going to sing a worship song as well, but but point our thoughts, and I love talking about how Christ is our friend and he's a good father, counselor, and all these things, but he is also master. And we also serve our master with integrity, whether people are watching us or not. And there is an inheritance waiting for us one day if we choose to live that life. So, Find a place to pray. If you want to come to the altar, that's fine. You can stand, you can kneel. Find a place to pray. And we're going to worship the Lord as well. But just ask the Lord, Lord, help me to serve you as my master. To serve you. Whether I find myself a master or a slave, help me to lead or help me to follow with integrity as you would have me to do. Let's take a minute and let's pray. And then we'll worship to the Lord this morning. I want to thank you for... Sticking with me during a message like that. I know that it's not a, a barn burner, <laughs> bringing the house down top of a message. But Paul obviously and the Holy Spirit obviously thought that it was worth writing about and teaching because I think that he knew that we would have some trouble with spiritual authority and these types of things. And so it's just reminding us who we are and who God is. And it's so, so important. And the Holy Spirit felt the need to write about it actually a couple of times in Scripture. And so, Scripture is our guide. Amen? And the Holy Spirit leads us. And so we submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit, as the song says, and as the Bible tells us. We submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit, knowing that His way is right. His way is right. So let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this day. We thank You for all Your many blessings. We thank You for Your Word, the Word of God. And I pray that we, as humans, sometimes as masters, sometimes as slaves, um, there is a way to act and have the right and good attitude and have integrity and have a humble spirit, no matter where we find ourselves in this life. Because ultimately, we all submit to you. And I pray that we would do that here today. We would submit to you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. God, you have 
good things in store for us. An inheritance one day, but then even here on earth, you have good things for us. And we want to live our life according to your word. And so, Lord, help us to do that, God. Help us to do that. God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you that you are a good authority. There are enough examples of bad authority in our life. You are a good, good authority. And so, Lord, we happily submit to you and your lordship. And we thank you. Thank you for protecting us and leading us and guiding us, saving us. Thank you for communion this morning. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.